Good morning and welcome once again. And uh, we're continuing on the path we've been going down for the last few weeks and looking at our, ourselves and looking at us as a church and all the different ways that we interact and the things we do and our motivations behind it. And if you missed any of these, you know how to catch up and take a look. And uh, we're going to be working out of John a little bit today. And anyone that says that the the Word of God is, is boring, well, I, I got everything that you can catch on Netflix. We're going to have a little bit of adultery today. We're going to have some uh, crime drama, a little uh, legal action, procedural stuff. We're going to have a, a happy ending. We're going to have suspense. We're going to have... All those things that we crave, and it's all right here in the Word of God. And the best part is, there's a, there's a lesson that we can learn from it. We're going to be in uh, the 8th chapter of John today. And um, this one, if you've been with me for any time, it's not nothing that's new. But it's one of the ones that I've talked about many times because there's so much that we can get out of it. It's, a, it's really an onion you can just keep peeling back the layers and we can talk about different aspects of it. And we're going to look at another aspect today and uh, see how that fits into our lives and how we act and interact. So uh, let's go ahead and, and start there. John chapter 8. Jesus went into the Mount of Olives and early in the morning he came again into the temple and all the people came unto him, and he sat down and taught them. And the scribes and the Pharisees brought unto him a woman, taken in adultery. And when they had set her in the midst, they said unto him, Master, this woman was taken in adultery, taken in the very act. Now Moses in the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what sayest thou? And he said, tempting him, that they might to have to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and with his finger wrote on the ground as he heard them not. So when they continued asking him, he lifted up himself and said unto him, He that is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And again, when he stooped down, and wrote on the ground, which they had heard, receiving by their own conscience, went out one by one, beginning with the eldest, even unto the last. And Jesus was left alone, and the woman standing in the midst. Then Jesus had lifted up himself, and he saw none but the woman. And he said unto her, Woman, where are thine accusers? And no man condemned thee. And she said, No man, Lord. And Jesus said unto her, Neither do I condemn thee. Go and sin no more. Let's have a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity for your word today, Father, for what you've given us, Father. I ask you to take myself out of the way, Father. Let this message sent by you shine through, Father, and open our hearts and minds to receive it. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus, Father. Amen. All right, so... Uh, we got that. We're going to let stew a little bit. We're going to keep revisiting it. And while we're doing that, let me ask you, how many of us carry around a pocket full of rocks? 
And uh, that may not make no sense right now, but hopefully by the end of this, it might, because I'm not talking about literal rocks. I'm talking about metaphoric. And um, let's just uh, jump into the, the present for a minute. And uh, we're going to look at a, a present day situation. And, uh, and then we'll see how this fits with what we see today. Now, there's uh, been a couple churches that over the last few days, they've uh, conducted a, a book burning. And they've had different things they can deem that we don't need to be a part of. So we're taking them, we're building a big old fire and burning them down, burning them up. So when it involves the church, I always like to think about well, what's my opinion on that. I like to ask the question, why? And I like to see if we're, we're doing a, a godly thing or are we doing a, a manly thing? Who are we trying to praise here? Who are we trying to impress? So, as we look at it, yes, there are many things in the world that we don't need to be a part of. They are of the world. They are influenced by Satan, and we need to keep our hands out of it. So, we see these images of these big old fires burning, and the people keep tossing things after things after things. And my question that popped into my head is, where did all this stuff come from? Are people going and they're, they're running through their bookshelves, they're looking through their collections and they're pulling these things from their own homes? Because if that's the case, the problem isn't about what we're doing right now, it's what we should have already been doing. It's great that we can draw attention to things to steer us away from the world, but what is, what are we trying to really do? Because it's, it's showing, it's a big show. It's a big show. And deep down, I have to wonder, is it, are we trying to teach? Or are we trying to say, look at me. Look how righteous I am. I am destroying this menacing thing. You need to look at me doing this because I'm destroying this menacing thing. I am righteous because I am doing this act. It's really easy to jump on that bandwagon because, you know, we want to be, we want to be the best Christians. We want to be the best. We want to show everybody how good we are. So we do these big, big shows. And the thing is, if we were truly trying to impress God, we shouldn't have had these things to begin with. These teachings should have started way before, and these things shouldn't have even been in our lives. We shouldn't have an abundance of things to be able to take from our homes and be able to destroy for this, this show. Now, I'm not trying to be judgy. I'm just giving you my opinion, my outlook on things. And because uh, this is a common occurrence. It's real easy to jump on a situation without knowing 
all the facts. You know, back many years ago in certain parts of the world, they used to have people burnings. We used to burn witches. And you know, the problem with that is a lot of innocent people got hurt because all it took was a, an accusation or some circumstances. And there was people that was traveling around the country and their job, I, and they were getting paid very well by people in power to go around and eradicate these people. And of course, when money is a motivation, we tend to try to make things work in our favor. We tend to also try to make things fit the way we think. We have an idea and we try to make all the circumstances fit around it. We do that with the Word of God all the time, but we also do that with people. You ever heard someone say, well, I know they're guilty. I feel it. I know they're guilty. I just can't prove it. And what happens is when our feelings are so strong, it can motivate our actions. And when we are driven by the feeling of being self-righteous, then we can even set aside our own, and we can say, well, we're doing it for God. We're doing it for what's right. We're doing it for all these things that really don't apply because all we've done is mold ourselves into something else. So let's go back to our, our text and look at that a bit and see if we can't find a couple little things here that we can pick apart a bit. They, uh, they found this woman and they said that she was taken in the very act. So as my inquisitive mind says, how? How did they know where to find her? You know, because the act that they were performing, that was in, that's an act done in private, behind closed doors, out of the, out of the sight of people. I mean, were they, were they peeking in the windows? Have they been following her around? What, what was the situation that got them to that point? We're going to get there. We're going to get there. So they go in uh, and bust in. I guess we didn't have uh, unreasonable search and seizures back then. We didn't have these uh, procedures that we have to follow. They just went in and they took her. And uh, as just brought it out, this particular act requires two people, a man and a woman. But yet we find no man. Was it because he was a man and these were men and they were protecting their own? Was it because that he was perhaps a friend or someone of importance? Perhaps it was something a little more sinister and a little more evil. Maybe he put himself in that situation to put the woman in this situation. 
Or maybe he was never even there. Could it be that these Pharisees wanted to take down Jesus so bad that they were willing to sacrifice a person? They were willing to falsely accuse to put someone in this situation so they could prove their point. It's happened in history before. It happens now. Not so hard to believe. Especially when they go and they start talking about the laws. And it says, the law of Moses. It says, this woman shall be stoned. You know, our legal system is very, very far from perfect. But could you imagine that? That it just takes a couple people of accusing you and they bring you to the, the people of authority and then just a, a couple of collaborative stories. The next thing you know, they are launching rocks at you. And what a horrible way to go. They throw rocks at you. And if that don't do the trick, they chunk you off a cliff. And if that don't finish you off, they find a really big rock and drop it on your head. All because of collaboration of story. And if we, uh, if you're familiar with the, the law, if you look at Leviticus and a lot of the, the laws of the time, most of the laws are man-driven. We see that the man has the responsibility. He is the head. He is in the position of, of leadership, but yet he's nowhere to be seen. And we don't get all the information here. We have to look at what's presented and try to form a, a conclusion. I hope when we get to heaven, there's a big library and it's a director's cut so we can see everything that we can fill in all the blanks. We can see the whole story. Could you imagine that? What the whole story was? We can see every little detail. I'm sure God's got it for us here. You know, He just had to condense it down to something manageable so we could have exactly what we needed. But the whole story is there. So they brought him to, to Jesus. And Jesus is just writing in the dirt. That's taking his finger and, and writing in the dirt. And it's one thing we see here is that the power of Jesus. We've seen Jesus speak to the demons and they have to respond. They have to act. They have to do because that's how powerful Jesus is. Everything has to act. Could you imagine... If this happened today, if it wasn't Jesus standing there, if it was a simple man, how this story could have played out much differently. Because today it seems like we have, have no regard for what Jesus would say. We should always act if Jesus is, is right there with us because he is. But we fail to see that. But if it was here in 2022 and, 
And they were bringing this, this woman before a judge. That would be our, our today's person that would make a decision. I could just see him saying, you without sin. Because there's so many people today that believe they are sin free. And I could just see someone just go ahead and, and chunking that first rock. Because they have no compassion for, for human life. I just, I just can't imagine being, being part of that. Just, just someone that you don't even know. Or, and you're just going to, to perform this horrible act. Today it would be real easy. Today we enjoy the violence of it. But more importantly, we enjoy being better than someone else. And not a, a truthful being better. We're all equal. We're all sinners. But this perceived idea that we're better. But Jesus was there. So when Jesus asked the questions, when you're in his presence, see that trumps everything else. We can't, sin can't succeed in the presence that way. And they had to really evaluate themselves. And that he's riding he's riding in the sand. And uh, if you ever do any kind of biblical archaeology, which is is when you take a segment of the Bible and you actually go back and you look at what the environment was, you know, what, how, the, how the ground was, what kind of plants were for living at the time, how buildings were constructed. It gives you a much better picture of what things looked like. You know, when you're reading the words and it's developing that image in your head and you're starting to see it, you can paint that detail with more vivid clarity. And the thing about where they was at... The dirt is really hard. It's rocky. And this would be a place where it's walked on a lot. And we know that if you go out in your yard and you go in your driveway where you drive your car across every single day and try to dig a hole, it's hard to do because that sand becomes packed, packed, packed. It becomes like rock. But Jesus... He's able to just take his finger and just write clearly in the, in the dirt. And this is the only time we see him do such a thing. And then, so we, we go back to this possible hypothesis that perhaps that these scribes and Pharisees have maybe taken things a little too far. That perhaps they are trying to get what they want to accomplish so much that they themselves are breaking the law. Now, Jesus knows the hearts. He knows the minds. He knows everything they were thinking. He knows everything they were doing. He already had everything figured out. So perhaps he is writing the laws 
it doesn't say exactly who went in and got her. We don't know if they're still there, or if they just brought her and said, here you go, and they walked away. So, the law was that you had to have three witnesses. Three people had to accuse you. And Jesus knew this. And all the while, they're just trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to have him make one mistake just so they had something they could work with so they could accuse him. So they could get him out of the way. And he never gave them the chance. And he didn't do it by anything more than following the word of God. See, because if he had just said, yes, go ahead, she's broken the law, he would have been wrong because he needed the three witnesses. And I wonder, what was it exactly did he write in the sand there? Did he write down their sins? Did he write down the Ten Commandments? Or perhaps he was writing what he knew that they didn't know that he knew that what was happening right then, the false accusation. Because right then, if that was the case, he could have stood up and spoke. And he could have brought these things to light verbally in front of all these people that were standing around watching. But he didn't. He took a different path. He wrote in the sand. He wrote in the dirt. So only the ones that were up close, only the ones that were involved, they could see. Because... He didn't want to accuse them publicly. Because he had more to accomplish. It was no surprise how all these events were going to play out. Everything that Jesus did was done with purpose. He knew how the people were going to react. He knew what had to be done because the gold was always at the cross. That was always the finish line. And he had to take all the correct steps to get there and to get there without sin, to get there blemish-free, to get there as that one all-time perfect sacrifice. But two, it shows how loving and how merciful Jesus is. Because, of course, we see his mercy for this woman. And he tells her that I condemn you not. He tells her to go. 
And whether she was guilty or innocent of that act, we don't know. But she's guilty of something. We're all sinners. But if this all makes sense to you, Jesus is also being merciful. And he is showing love to the very people that are against him. His worst enemy here on earth. Of course, he has Satan, but he has all these men. Mankind. The people that he has come there to save. The ones that are trying to tempt him and trick him. And in the end, put him on the cross. All these people that are totally and completely against him. He is showing them mercy. He is showing them love. What do we do? I asked you about, are you carrying around a pocket full of rocks? Are you ready to to throw that first stone? Because we we look at things a little differently. Because, you know, we, we come to church on Sunday and we read the Word of God So we know about them few verses about us all being sinners. We've heard them a time or two. So we have to put some kind of belief that there is uh, some truth to it, right? And of course, we've all we've all found our salvation and and we've done our thing. So you know we're we've leveled the playing field. We're we're we set things straight. But we still have to to feel better about ourselves so when we we come we come locked and loaded and there's always going to be someone that we deem is in a worser state of sin than we are so what do we do we like to make Excuses for our sins, don't we? We don't like to be feel like we're bad. We don't like to be. We don't like to call ourselves sinners. Anybody like to call yourself a sinner? We don't want to be a sinner. We just are, and we want to come up with ways that we can justify our actions. You know, we we tell a little lie. Well, that's just to save someone's feelings. You know, it's not. It's just a little sin. You know, we might cheat a little bit here or there on some kind of something, you know, just to save a few dollars or, or whatnot. And it's just, well, no, it's not hurting anybody. It's just, it's not that big a deal. We always have a way that we can come and we can justify our actions. And it makes it easier when we can put bigger Blame that we can put a bigger target on someone else. Well, he was a murderer. So as long as I'm not a murderer, I'm, I must be better. 
He's a thief. I've never done anything like that. I'm, I'm better. My things seem so small. But they're not. Sin is sin. The little white lie, murder. All the same to God. All the same. And also all can be forgiven. We don't look at it that way. We see that last week we talked about Jesus saving the man on the cross. In the very last moments, someone that deserved to be there, someone that probably had a a rough upbringing, probably was not very beneficial to the kingdom of heaven, but yet he was saved. And that can be anyone. And also on the flip side, we see that people that can look like they are just the, the grandest thing, that everything they do is in the name of God, that they perform all these grand acts, won't get you into heaven. You can write all the checks you want. You can do all the things. You can, on the outside, look like you're the most wonderful person. But unless you follow the instructions and truly accepted Jesus, not going to get you there. It's that simple. And you, you can't take it away. It's your gift. And once you are sealed by God, there is nothing that can take that away. We think we have it all figured out. God tells us not to judge people, to just let it be. Because we're not qualified to do so. We do not know what's on a person's heart. We do not know what a person has been through. And we do not know where a person is going. But God does. But yet, we try to do just that. We try to put a label on them, put them in a place. Oh no, your sins are too bad. You're too far gone. We have no place for you. And on the flip side, we might look at this other person that looks like they are the most wonderful thing ever. But we don't know their, their dark secrets because we only see what's on the outside. We only see what's prevented. And that's the wolf in sheep's clothing. That's what we, we don't see. We don't believe in, in second chances. We hear that all the time. Oh, second chance, third chance. We, we got to help out people. But in action, we don't do so. And we never know how a person got into the situation they're in. We might find someone that perhaps has a criminal record. We don't know how they got to that point. Now, sometimes it's just because they've made poor life choices or tried to take the easy way in life and then wound out. And sometimes circumstances were out of their control. They were in desperation. 
Sometimes we can get into a point where life is squeezing us so hard. And imagine if you don't have God in your life, if you don't have that to turn to, to help you and see you through, what a situation could lead you to do with no hope. That is when we get into the most trouble. When you have nothing to lose, there's no telling what you might do. See, when we've got, we've got Jesus with us, we've got God, we always have that hope because God's going to see us through. We've seen it time and time again. We know that he's going to provide a way. But when you don't have that to look at, all you have is, is hopelessness. Does a person that's never found Jesus, has never had that opportunity, do they not deserve heaven just because they was, was late? Late to the party? Late given on board? What is, what is your story? You know, many people, they grew up in church. They had godly homes. It was real easy to have God in your life. But not everybody has been in that situation. People grow up completely without any kind of belief in anything. Or the wrong kind of beliefs was even worse because now they have something to overcome and then get back to the truth. So when they walk in the doors and they're, they're scared because they have these things that they're, they're harboring because you never know where that rock is going to come from. How many people have I talked to that are apprehensive about stepping foot back inside a church because they've had a bad experience? They've had these things happen. That somehow or another, some of these things slip out that they don't want and people find out about it. And instead of having compassion... Instead of having love, they get that rock upside the head. Because we're not doing what Jesus wants us to do. It's not our job to judge. And like we talked about before, it's also not our job to try to mold people into what we are. We need our our differences. And just because you think you're the most grandest thing that's ever walked the earth, doesn't mean God's going to agree. Doesn't mean everybody else is going to agree. Because we are all changing. We should be getting better every day. Every year we should see improvements in our character, in our being, and who we are. We should be moving closer to the us that God has intentions for, to our hope and our future. But we can't do that if we are stuck in a mindset. And that's what happens. We, uh, we don't allow ourselves to grow. Because when we get uncomfortable... You know, when that, that conscience, that Holy Spirit starts tugging at us, the poor guy up here in the pulpit gets to blame for it, and they want to get away from him and go somewhere else that makes you feel a little more comfortable. Not my fault. 
I'm just a speaker. I didn't write it. I'm just repeating it. Telling God's story. He's the author. I'm the narrator. It's real easy to, to jump on the, on the bandwagon. We see all these people come out to an event. We can burn some books. But we can't get them there for regular events, regular services. Because that's just that's too much. We want that, that, that righteousness. We can, when we're starting to draw attention, when the, when the cameras come out, we want the world to see, look at me, I'm righteous. But it's funny because the, the word says, no, none is righteous. No, not one. No, not one. We are trying to make an image that doesn't exist. We don't even understand many times what we are, are doing. If they decided to take one kind of person that someone deems is, is wrong and just destroy them or put them on an island, send them away, how quickly can that turn into something? How many people is going to sign up and say that's a good idea? Remember, that's all we have to do is just make something sound good. Give that illusion that it's correct, even though there's no basis to it. We can't pick and choose. That's the thing about the, the Word of God. I was talking to someone the other day and they was putting all these pieces together and you can look how things come together because the Word of God is totally and completely connected. It's the same in the beginning. It's the same in the end. It's the same in the middle. All the pieces fit together. The themes run completely from one end to the other. So when you put together two or three things and it makes something, but then all of a sudden we have this other verse over here that doesn't fit. Well, it's time to change your conclusion because there's no contradictions. God doesn't contradict himself. Everything falls in order. So it's not God that's made a mistake. It's not the word that's made a mistake. It's you. It's you. We have to go in with an idea that God is right. God is right all the time. We cannot mold the word to fit our ideas. God tells us that we are to love, we are to forgive. Everyone can be saved. So why is it that we do so much condemning? That we say, no, you're not welcome. You're not our type. Because we want to make ourselves feel good. Feelings are not our friends. Feelings are temporary. 
and feelings will pass. We have to get those things out of the way so we can let the true nature of God come into us and also to come out of us.